ticket. Before Simply Earth's essential oil recipe box, I had no idea what I was doing or how to actually use essential oils. But now my home is one step closer to being toxin free because I have started to figure out how to use essential oils properly with my friends at Simply Earth, thanks to their essential oil recipe box. Now, I wonder if you have invested all this money in oils that you're not using. Maybe you're confused by them. Well, the Simply Earth essential oil recipe box will help you gain confidence and clarity in using essential oils to help make your home toxin-free. Here's how it works. You receive the recipe box with four pure essential oils. You get six recipe cards and all these extras. You learn how to use your essential oils while making the recipes created by certified aromatherapists. You save money. You detoxify your life. You buy from a company that changes the world, too. Simply Earth gives 13% of all their profits to end human trafficking around the world. How amazing is that? It's like a meal subscription kit, but it's more fun and less edible. The best part? Here's what I think. The oils don't break my budget. You buy from a company that changes the world. Simply Earth is giving 13% of all their profits to end human trafficking around the world. If you're like me, you're going to get essential oils. Might as well get it from a company who's helping to end human trafficking. That's a great cause that I can get behind. The essential oils alone would cost over $100 from other companies, but with Simply Earth, the essential oil recipe box, you get four pure oils, six recipes, and extra ingredients for only $39. And when you subscribe, you're going to get a free big bonus box with even more natural goodies. So here's what I want you to do. Go to simplyearth.com slash west, and you're going to have fun making your home toxin-free with Simply Earth's essential oil recipe box. Plus, you're going to get a free 80-milliliter essential oil diffuser when you subscribe using the URL simplyearth.com slash west. Again, a free 80-milliliter essential oil diffuser when you subscribe using our URL simplyearth.com slash west. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Matthew West Podcast, episode 144, I believe. I'm your host, Matthew West, and as always, I really hope you like it. Thank you for joining me today, coming to you from the tour bus, because the My Story, Your Glory Spring Tour is in full effect, and by full effect, I mean it's epic, and we're having so much fun on the road, and uh, yet I'm still going to keep Recording the podcast in between shows. How do you like that? It's crazy. Thanks to everybody who's been coming out to see us in South Carolina, Florida, Illinois, Nebraska. Not in that order. Still uh, lots more shows to come. Uh, We're going to be touring pretty much up until the beginning of May or end of April. Go to MatthewWest.com to find out where and when we will be on tour, so you can come and catch a show. I sure would love for you to, to join me. Uh, it's been it's been really exciting. I feel like the audiences are coming just with some anticipation and excitement. I'm just ready to worship, too. It's been uh, unbelievable. So uh, thank you to everybody who's come out to see us, and uh, thanks for joining me on today's episode. thought I would uh, take a few more calls today to get started, so... Uh, Let's uh, let's go ahead and do that right now. Hi, my name is Emma. I'm calling from Ohio, and I just want to say I love your song. You changed my name. I love 
how it almost kind of ties in with Hello, My Name Is, and it's just uh, absolutely amazing. Also, I'm going to the tour in St. Mary's, and I'm super excited. Bye. What's up, Emma from Ohio? Thanks for the call. So awesome, and I can't wait to see you at the Ohio show. It sounds like you're going to be there. It's going to be great. Thanks for mentioning the song, You Changed My Name. We'll be performing it and singing it with you that night on tour. And you're so right about the connection between that song and another song of mine, Hello, My Name, is both of those songs are about identity. More importantly, they're about the one who gives us our identity. The devil wishes he had that power, but nobody else, not the enemy, nobody else in this world has the power to tell us who we are. I write about it in my book, Hello, My Name, as I talk about how discovering who you are begins by discovering whose you are, who you belong to. Your creator knows who you are, and he's the only one who can give you your true identity. First John chapter 3, verse 1 says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. That's what you are, and I hope you never forget it, and I'm so glad that you love that song. I'll see you in Ohio very soon. All right, let's take another call. Hey, Matthew. It's Sheila from Decatur, Illinois. I was at your concert last night. It was awesome. You guys rocked it. My favorite song of the evening, of course, is Wonderful Life. My family has a similar story with ALS, and I just love your beautiful reflection on heaven. So thank you very much for such a wonderful night. Thank you, Sheila. Yeah, the song Wonderful Life is a song that we've been doing in the uh, second set of the My Story, Your Glory tour. I'm so glad you enjoyed the show in Decatur, and thanks for calling into the podcast. The show is kind of split up into two sets. The first set uh, is focused on you know, songs that uh, are on previous albums, and uh, you know, it's kind of like turns into one big sing-along that whole first set, trying to do every song I think you guys want to hear, Truth Be Told, God Who Stays, What If. I don't want to give away the whole set list. but And then the final portion of the night is the My Story, Your Glory portion. And, and during that part of the night, I try to sort of capture the two sides of what this latest album is all about. You know, I'm telling stories, but then we're also worshiping together with songs like You Changed My Name. And uh, Wonderful Life is in that My Story category, obviously the story of Ron who battled ALS and how he impacted my life and so many other people's lives. And I wanted to write that song, Wonderful Life, in his honor. And so to hear from you, Sheila, that your family has a similar story, uh, that means so much to me. And I'm glad I played that in Decatur, Illinois. Thank you so much for the call. And uh, I'm glad you're enjoying uh, the podcast as well. All right, let's take another. Hi, Matthew. My name is Twyla, and I live near St. Louis, Missouri. Um, I've been listening to your podcast since it started back in, I think, August of 2020. I've been streaming your new album, which I love, and I want to thank you for each of the messages in those songs for their such blessings. Um, I think my favorite song is still Me on Your Mind because of its message. Um, I have to share a funny thing with you. Because I listen to your podcast every week, after each song on the album finishes, I hear in my head, he is my dad and he gives good advice. So anyway, I thought that was funny. I hope you have a great day. Thanks again. (laughs) That's hilarious. Twyla, thanks for the call. I think that is 
pretty funny to hear that you're hearing in your head the theme song for Dad Vice uh, after every song on the album. But you made a mistake. You were supposed to sing it, and instead you just spoke it. He is my dad, and he gives good advice. I should have put that on the album. But um, anyways, I'm glad you enjoy the new album. And um, hey, Me On Your Mind, that was the very first song that I released from the the new record. And um, I released it for a reason, because it was a special song to me. And uh, I think I've told you guys this on the podcast before, but a lot of these songs, like I found myself crying while I was writing them. And uh, this was one that just just cut straight to the heart for me just kind of that amazement of you know what the psalm says who is man who is man that you are mindful of him human beings that you care for them like like really god like you're paying attention to me how can that be and let alone the fact that you would send your one and only son jesus to die on a cross for my sins and that when he stretched out his arms he was doing that when he gave his life he was doing that when he shed his blood he was doing that with me on his mind to pay the price for my sins and your sins to comprehend that kind of love. That's a beautiful thing that we get to do (laughs) to try to comprehend it, you know, and that's what I'm doing in the songs that I write. Just, just going, Lord, I'm so thankful that you would, you paid the price. You took the cross, you gave your life and you did it all with me on your mind. Thanks for the call, Twyla. Hello, Matthew West. This is Mason from Southern California, Orange County. Um, thank you so much for everything that you do and, and for your dad, Reverend West. And uh, my favorite um, song from the new album is What a Day. Like I would walk with it and just dance and just feeling what a day will be when we're in heaven with Jesus. And I have like tears of joy. Just amazing album altogether. But um, if I have to choose my favorite, that's the one. And uh, there's two ladies of us that have a shenanigans group that we go shenanigans with the sisters, and we go to fish fest every year, and we keep hoping that you make it out. Please do because we've got Jeremy Camp one time, we got King, um, Country, we got your friends um, Casting Crowds. So please, please make it soon. Thank you. Well, thanks for the call from California, and thank you for the invite to visit California and come and sing for you. It feels like it's been way too long. I I totally agree with you, and um, just we haven't booked as many shows on the West Coast really since before the pandemic, so I'm long overdue, and I'm looking forward to hopefully announcing some West Coast dates very soon, and when I do, I hope that you'll come and see me, and I love that you um, highlighted the song, What a Day. You know, during the pandemic, I, I wrote several songs about heaven. I wrote uh, Weary Traveler with my buddy Jordan St. Cyr. I wrote Scars in Heaven with Casting Crowns. These songs sort of, I don't know, just the hopes of reminding us all that heaven awaits, you know, in the midst of the harder seasons in our lives to know that heaven is a promise we can count on. And yet those songs were coming out as, you know, more emotional um songs of lament almost like for those who've lost a loved one but i wanted to write a victory anthem a victory song about heaven and and that was the song what a day that uh kind of was birthed out of that idea what if i could write a celebratory song about the trumpets sounding and and the clouds dividing oh hallelujah gonna wave goodbye so um, i'm glad you enjoyed that song and man isn't it good to know that we do have an eternity promise to us that, uh, like you said, you find yourself dancing and singing to that one. 
that's a promise that can get us filled with joy today and every day, knowing that uh, there's a better there's a better day coming. Thanks for the call. All right, let's take one more. Hey, Matthew, this is Lisa Edmiston from Clinton, South Carolina. Uh, we are coming on tour to see you, taking a road trip, Thursday, March the 2nd in Aiken, South Carolina, uh, bringing my grandson and, and my daughter and my son, uh, who wanted to come this time. Uh, also, the new album is amazing. My favorite song, I think, so far, I, I love uh, You Changed My Name. But after the last song came out, I love that song, love the words, love the music, love the piano part to it. And I also love one that maybe everybody hasn't heard so much yet. I love Kingdom Things. I think that's a great song and a great place to put our mind. Um, thanks for all you do. Love the new album. Well, thanks, Lisa. Thanks so much for the call, and thanks for coming out to the show. Sounds like you made a road trip. I hope you enjoyed the South Carolina show. We sure did. Uh, that was Aiken, South Carolina, and um, I'm so glad that you came out. That's amazing, and uh, now you get to hear your voice on the podcast, too. So, uh, yeah, you changed my name, and it's been a powerful song to worship to um, with audiences every single night. It's been really special. And I love that you mentioned the song Kingdom Things. That song was actually co-written with a legendary country songwriter named Casey Bethard. He's written uh, big-time country hits, strong follower of Christ, and uh, has a really powerful testimony. Uh, He lost his son in a tragic accident. And um, he actually came in with that idea one day, wanting to write a song called Kingdom Things. And I loved that title so much. And... Uh, so we wound up writing it for the Your Glory record just as a reminder of, you know, what, what we can, like you said, just kind of set our thoughts on. And, and then to realize that, like, it's like seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. So that's Matthew six thirty three, And uh, so you can see kingdom and things in that scripture. But then the song kind of flips it and, like, the thought that God sees us as his kingdom things, you know, that he's prepared a place for us. And so the the song turns its gaze toward heaven as well. And um, I love that song too. So thanks for coming to the show and thanks for the call. You guys know that I love to tell you about things that I think can make your life better and especially healthier these days. Well, Typical children's vitamins are basically candy in disguise, filled with two teaspoons of sugar, unhealthy chemicals, and other gumming junk growing kids should never eat. And that's why Haya was created, the pediatrician-approved, super-powered, chewable vitamin. While most children's vitamins are filled with five grams of sugar and can contribute to a variety of health issues, Haya is made with zero sugar and zero gummy junk, yet it tastes great and it's perfect even for the picky eaters, if your kids are like that. Haya fills in the most common gaps in modern children's diets to provide the full body nourishment our kids need with a good taste that they love. It's formulated with the help of nutritional experts. Haya is pressed with a blend of 12 organic fruits and veggies, then supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals, including vitamin D, B12, C, zinc, folate, and many others to help support immunity, energy, brain function, mood, concentration, teeth, bones, and more. You know, as a parent, 
nothing troubles me more than when my kiddo's not feeling well. And my wife and I, we constantly are looking for ways to make sure that they're living their healthiest life. And I know if you're a parent out there, you can relate to what I'm saying. And that's why I'm, I'm loving Haya. It's designed for kids of all ages and sent straight to your door so parents have one less thing to worry about. I want to tell you right now, we've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. Receive 50% off your first order. 50% off. To claim this deal, you must go to HayaHealth.com slash West. The deal is not available on their regular website. So go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H dot com slash West. Get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. All right, we are reaching the end of our journey through my new book, The God Who Stays. I hope you've enjoyed these different types of episodes to start the new year. It just was on my heart. I was so um, thrilled to be able to release this book last fall, and yet I felt like I didn't get the chance to to dive into the the real heart of it with you guys directly on the podcast. And so chapter by chapter, I've been your tour guide. I hope that you've been uh, reading through the book on your own, maybe sharing it with somebody else. Also, you know, because I've only been sort of reading snippets of chapters, not the whole chapter. There's, there's a lot more good stuff to reading on your own time. But uh, I hope this book has been an encouragement to you. Uh, I know it's been an encouragement to me. I uh, feel like I went deeper in my faith by kind of going back to the basics of my faith, what I believe, who I believe God is, and uh, discovering on a new level the power of the promise that he makes, that he will be with us. (laughs) The promise of his presence is a life-changing revelation. So let's dive in here. Chapter 11 is called Being the People Who Stay, a Blue Couch Invitation. When my second album was released, I extended an offer to half a dozen strangers from around the country to visit my childhood home. It's been a few years, but the marketing folks at my record label came up with this homecoming promotional idea to have a radio contest and fly the winners from all over the country to my home city of Chicago. The contest was centered on the major theme of the recording, which was titled History. Now, that record also happened to be the first time that I ever referenced my Blue Couch moment without really talking specifically about the Blue Couch in a song called Next Thing You Know. So we flew a group of winners to the Windy City and took them to my favorite restaurant downtown. They were able to ride around on the band's bus, and I served as their tour guide to my favorite city, Chicago. The trip was going to culminate with an intimate concert at my hometown church, the very place where I fell in love with the hymns that would lead me to my love of music. I would perform for the contest winners in a small group from my dad's congregation that weekend. And one of the ideas that the folks at the label suggested was to bring the winners over to visit my childhood home in Downers Grove on the day of the concert. Now, you probably can guess already that there is a blue couch appearance connected to this invitation. Now, I had no idea that my mom was going to do this, but before we had the people over, she really prepared our house for the event. I'll never forget when our tour bus pulled into the driveway of that little blue house there on Jane's Avenue. A group of contest winners and I were greeted by my mom and my dad waving to us in the front lawn. It was like a suburban version of the Waltons. The Wests were all too happy to invite a group of people we'd never met before into the house. A few of them were taking pictures of everything as if it was a tour of Elvis Presley's Graceland, 
which made me laugh. But little did I know, as we crossed in through the front door, that my mom had turned our home into a full-fledged museum, as if it were really Graceland. I found it highly entertaining. She wrote out descriptions of different meaningful locations around the house and hung them where our visitors could read and learn all about me and my childhood. She also took everyone on a room-by-room guided tour. She was a five-star Airbnb super host for those few hours. For the record, Mom has always made her house very comfortable for guests, so the formal signs and museum feel that day wasn't the norm in the West House. When we were growing up, it it was always a welcoming come-as-you-are-and-make-yourself-at-home place where nothing was off-limits. But the tour seemed to be a big hit. And to this day, I still don't have the words to describe accurately the embarrassment of standing in the hallway as the contest winners took pictures of my childhood bedroom. It felt a little bit like being in the movie The Truman Show. Finally, the tour arrived face to furniture with the blue couch of my youth. Mom had borrowed some of those things called stanchions, I had to look that word up by the way, with the velvet ropes from a local movie theater and had placed them strategically around the couch to keep people at a safe distance. She had carefully placed a note there that read, this is where Matthew asked Jesus into his heart. Now, I had no idea any of this was going to happen at the house, and that ended up being a special moment for me. I could see the satisfaction in my mom's eyes. It hit me then that my blue couch moment meant as much to her as it did to me. That moment wasn't just mine. And all these years later, as a Jesus-loving parent myself, I understand that sentiment. There were so many emotions for me during that house visit. It is the one and only time there were ropes around that couch or anything in my home. It was the one and only time that anything from my life was presented like a museum. Certainly, the humor of suddenly seeing the place where you grew up turned into an afternoon photo op has never been lost on me, or, I would imagine, on mom and dad. But it also hit me that I haven't often taken a step back to view my spiritual history from a distance. That is, until I began writing this book during the first days of lockdown. The house where my faith was formed was always an open house. It was alive, active, chaotic. When I was growing up, that house was the antithesis of a museum. Museums display history, but that home was where my history was still being written. And that couch where my faith in Jesus first took root was anything but a museum piece. It was lived on, worn, ripped, stained, broken in, and comfortable. The image of that couch roped off is still a good representation in my mind of how my relationship with God felt when I began writing The God Who Stays. I had been living as if God was separated from me with those velvet ropes. I've been living a museum kind of faith with a safe distance from God. I absolutely love the movie Night at the Museum. It's one of my all-time favorites. I get a kick out of watching the entire museum come to life. Robin Williams is suddenly Teddy Roosevelt on horseback, leading his troops into battle against Attila the Hun. Owen Wilson is hilarious as Jedediah the Cowboy. And Ben Stiller is brilliantly comedic as the incompetent security guard scrambling to save the world. Even the dinosaur bones come to life in that movie. But outside of that movie, I have to confess that I'm not really the biggest museum guy. A few years into our marriage, Emily and I took a dream trip to Italy. We rode gondolas in Venice, drank espresso in Florence, and ate our weight in pasta, pastries, and gelato at every stop along the way. The thing about taking a trip to Europe is that it's not really a relaxing experience. It's amazing, but it's exhausting. There is just so much history and and too much to see, really. 
it's difficult to shake off the idea that you are on a once-in-a-lifetime trip. When are we ever going to be back here? We have to see all these sights now. Truth be told, if I am given the option between a day at the museum and a fantastic meal at a top-notch restaurant, I'm picking that restaurant every single time. No offense to museum curators, their job is important, but I just get bored. Bored and hungry. Despite my propensity for boredom, I soldiered on with Emily. I believe that we saw everything we could in Italy. There was something different about visiting Rome than the other places I had been before. I was completely captured by so much of that city. The beauty of the Sistine Chapel was overwhelming. But then we arrived at the Holy Stairs, and I simply wasn't prepared for what I witnessed. I literally saw people walking up those stairs, weeping and completely overcome with emotion. I've done special events at the Museum of the Bible, which is an amazing place and is alive as the scripture can feel in that setting. It still pales in comparison to the experience of seeing biblically significant locations with my own eyes. Those were the very stairs to that praetorium or judgment hall of Pontius Pilate's Jerusalem palace that Jesus had to climb. Today, those same 28 white marble steps lead to what is called the Sancta Sanctorum, which was the first private chapel of the popes. Some believe that St. Helena, mother of the Roman Emperor Constantine, brought the stairs to Rome after the 4th century. Many visitors choose to ascend those stairs on their knees, praying a different prayer with each step. We learned that believers travel from around the world to climb the stairs together. It was incredible to watch people share the emotion of that moment with one another as they literally walked on the very stones that Jesus walked to his sentencing of crucifixion. I was moved by the aliveness of that moment. A shared faith becomes animated even on the steps of a museum. It was holy. And that brings me back again to the blue couch. Of course, I'm not comparing that couch to the holy stairs. I'm talking about the common space that God shares with us and that we share with others. I guess I haven't really explained one of the most important parts of my blue couch story to you yet. You see, as I watched the Billy Graham sermon that day, and felt God speaking to me. I didn't just have the experience myself. My mom came and sat on the blue couch and prayed alongside me as I said those first words of commitment to Jesus. My blue couch moment was a shared experience. Mom was showing me what it looked like to follow the God who stays by being one of the people who stay. And the lesson is that it doesn't have to be holy staircases in Rome or the Sistine Chapel or even the Baptist Church on the corner. God presents blue couch moments anywhere at any moment in our lives. And if we are open and attentive, we can be part of offering those blue couch moments to others. Those experiences aren't meant to be roped off from the world in a time or place or treated like a museum artifact written on a card. They are meant to be shared and carried with us as an invitation to a hurting world. The journey of this book has reminded me that my faith isn't a museum exhibit. It's not a historic moment in my past where God met me once upon a time. My faith is alive right here and right now. He didn't just stay with me past tense. He isn't the God who stayed. He's the God who stays, present tense. The God who stays with me and with you. He stays in our joy, our pain, our grief, our sorrow. He stays on missions trips to Haiti in the cancer ward of children's hospitals, on tour buses, and even in the back of New Jersey cabs. My blue couch moment is alive and is calling me to clear the space to share the God who stays with everyone I can. Jesus, after sharing space with his disciples, said to them, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another, John thirteen thirty four. 
Jesus was talking about making room to stay with others. He wasn't asking for some unreachable objective. Just imagine taking the velvet ropes down and inviting others to join you on the blue couch. As I have loved you means that we can't live a roped-off faith. The blue couches of our lives are not meant to be decorative accessories, and the best couches are always the ones we share with other people. They're lived in, a little worn in, and carry the marks of our tears of grief and joy. I think our blue couches should have spills and stains from shared drinks and breaking bread with others. And let me tell you, what the world needs now more than ever are people like you and me, willing to invite others onto our couches to stay, to stay so that they may rest, cry, pray, grieve, give thanks, and find joy. My dad was a pastor at the same church for 38 years. When I was a teenager, there were a few times when he would attend a regional minister's retreat. I noticed that he never really looked forward to it, and after a while, he stopped attending. I asked him about it one time, and he explained that the meetings always began with the pastor saying they wanted to create a safe place for one another. Where does a minister ever go where they can be ministered to? Having the kind of sheltered environment where they can be accepted and speak freely is a rare situation for pastors. The gathering was supposed to be a judgment-free zone for them to do what they always encouraged their church members to do. It was supposed to be a come-as-you-are environment. I told my dad that sounded like a positive thing for those leaders. He said the intentions were good, but the reality was that occasionally one of the pastors would dare to share candidly about a struggle in his life. But if the problem was deemed a little too real for the other leaders, Dad explained you could physically feel the rest of the room begin to recoil and almost back up from the person who was truly willing to be vulnerable in front of his peers. That story upset me as a teenager, but it also planted a seed somewhere in my mind that grew into the conviction that there are no real safe places. And that is what our blue couches should be for the whole world, a safe place for others to be honest and be themselves even when things aren't going well. We've talked so much in this book about the wilderness experience of these past years. No book is written in a vacuum, and recent history has certainly impacted the way my faith has transformed and grown stronger. It's one thing to witness the pain of the world from a safe distance. It's another thing entirely when the world's heartbreak shows up in your neighborhood. Just like you, I've watched the cruel graphics on every screen of every news channel for months, morbid reminders of the latest death toll from the COVID-19 pandemic. But when my family received the phone call about Jonathan, or J.O. as he was known, it suddenly became a harsh reality. You see, J.O.'s daughter is on the cheerleading squad with my oldest daughter, Lulu. He and I are not too far apart in age. We saw each other at games occasionally and shared the joy of being dads to all girls. He was a great guy. During the spike of the Delta variant of COVID-19 in my area, of the country, J.O.'s entire family became sick. Each family member bounced back quickly, except for J.O. He wound up having to be hospitalized, and the illness took one turn after another for the worse, until the doctors were warning his wife that his chances of survival were not good. And that's when my wife's phone rang. It was J.O.'s wife, Julie, and she was asking us to pray. She wondered if we could gather some folks to join her in prayer. We put the word out, and two hours later, a couple hundred people showed up at a nearby church. I brought my guitar. We sang some worship songs, and then the pastor of the church stood up and began to lead us in prayer. But first, he turned to Julie and simply said, what should we be praying for? She began to cry as she addressed the room. Honestly, the doctors have done all they can do. I've done all I can do. Now, it's miracle time. We need to pray for a miracle. So that's exactly what we did. 
People began to pray out loud, thanking the God who gives sight to the blind and makes the lame walk, the God who stays. Lord, if it is your will, would you do it again? I was deeply moved by that prayer time and could feel God working in those sacred, prayer-filled moments. Yes, those too were blue couch moments. It was holy. I walked out of that church firmly believing that God was planning a miracle of Lazarus-like proportions. I was hoping the next phone call my wife would receive would be a cause for celebration and that maybe the next time we gathered to worship J.O. would be one of the grateful voices singing along. But that was not God's plan. At only 45 years old, our friend's life on earth came to an end. A wife lost her husband and two daughters lost their dad. The heart-wrenching pain of loss and grief has moved into so many of our neighborhoods and in our lifetimes, we will all know what it's like to lose someone we love. As the days progressed, I thought about what happens to our grieving friends when the funeral's over and the news cycles have shifted. What happens when everyone has moved on with their busy lives and people aren't checking in quite as often? The meals from neighbors have slowed and the cards stopped coming. It must feel like the world is back to normal while you're just getting started with the first. The first anniversary without him. The first birthday when she's not there. The first Christmas the kind of first that usher in wave upon wave of grief and loneliness, loss and fear. And who stays with them? Who is offering a seat on the blue couch for them? I know one woman who tragically lost her teenage son in a car accident. And at first she said her friends were supportive and vowed to walk with her through her grieving. But after months and months of hard days, she felt her support system waning. One friend even had the nerve to tell her it's time to move on. Wow. Telling someone it's time to move on is the equivalent of saying, hurry up and heal. It brings me comfort to read about the God who is close to the brokenhearted. As Psalm 34, 18 says, I've told you how my dad and I sit there on Wednesday mornings and we see thousands of prayer requests rolling in. Most of the time, uh, we can say a quick prayer at best for them, but who's there to stay for those requests? Who is offering those hurting people a blue couch invitation? Thankfully, the God who stays doesn't say, hurry up and heal. Instead, he says, I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. God doesn't say, get your act together or I'm leaving. He doesn't tell you to get over your depression. He doesn't get impatient with your grief. He doesn't get scared away by your anger. He stays. He stays when the miracle doesn't happen the way you thought it should. He stays when the dream comes to an end. He says things like, Matthew, climb down from that sycamore tree and let's have dinner. Come sit with me on the blue couch. He offers himself to every situation we can possibly face. His answer is always his presence, and that is the beauty of being the people of God who are loved by God, isn't it? That we also offer ourselves in the same way. Jesus said, whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me, Matthew 25, 40. He stays with us in all our pain and suffering, in all our joy and laughter, just as we are. And in the same way, we are called to stay with others. How can we respond to the love of God and be the people who stay for others? I'm talking about being the people who really stay, who stay after the rest of the world moves on, who can have the patience and compassion to walk with somebody's broken road with them, even if the steps are slow and heavy. Who can sit through the hard questions? Can we stay even when the story is messy, even as God has stayed for us? And that's just a thing. The blue couch moment isn't transactional. You don't often sit down with people on a couch to do business. They've got conference tables for that sort of thing. You don't stay for what you receive. It's a place of rest, of transformation and connection. When you sit on the couch in your home, your guard comes down. It is a safe place where you open your life to relationship. 
I think that is what Jesus wants your whole life to look like, offering a safe place for others in your space. After all, that's how Jesus lived. That's what he offers to you. He was a safe place for the woman at the well. He was a safe place for the lepers. Jesus was a safe place for the social outcasts. He was a safe place for the sick and a safe place for the foreigners. I think the question I'm asking myself these days is how can I be a safe place for someone to let their own truth be told? How can I create space for them on my blue couch? And how can I help someone else discover their own blue couch moments? The more I grow in my awareness of the closeness of God in my life and his nearness to my heart, the more I want to offer the same safety, rest, and honesty to others. I want them to come to know the Lord and experience the joy of his life-changing presence in their lives. Isn't that the ultimate calling for all of us who have experienced the faithfulness of the God who stays? And the image of the blue couch is that kind of invitation has even moved into my podcast and taught me so much about creating space for others in my life to share their experiences. I have a segment on each podcast now where I ask my guests to talk about their own blue couch moment. It's a way of opening the conversation about what God is doing in their lives. Most of the time, that part of the conversation gets real. It's a shared space, and it is holy. I had an interview with a good friend of mine named John, who was the former frontman for a Christian band. Not just any band, it was one of the most popular Christian bands in the world. They had a ton of radio hits and toured the world sharing the good news about Jesus. We had the chance to share the stage together on many occasions. John is a preacher's kid just like me, but he publicly announced a few years ago that he no longer believes in God. Of all the people I asked to share about their blue couch story with me, John's answer was the most heartbreaking, but also the most hopeful at the same time. His answer was, I'm asking God for that moment now, and I don't feel like I've had it. And if he's there, I want it. When I pray, that's what I'm asking for. I'm asking for a blue couch moment. I see the blue couch now not just as a representation of God's presence, but as a reminder, a call to invite people to sit with me, to create space for them to stay so that they can rest, cry, pray, grieve, give thanks, find joy, and hopefully find the God who stays with them. Remember, the couch is a gathering space where life takes place. There isn't six feet of separation from your community on a couch. As we emerge from a season of physical distancing, and for many, myself included, a season of spiritual distancing, I think God is calling you to make room for other people. God stays, and he is calling us to be a people who stay for the moments when there are no words but to cry out for his presence. I can still remember the feel of those storyhouse piano keys as I first found the tune, You're the God who stands with wide open arms, and you tell me nothing I have ever done can separate my heart from the God who stays. I guess the blue couch has become a reminder to me that I am to live as a reflection of a God who moves with me through every season of life. I want my life to be a light shining on a hill and an invitation into a story of love, joy, peace, endurance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I want to live in a way that welcomes people to sit down and stay a while with me there. When I imagine God walking with me in the garden in the cool of the day, like he did with Adam and Eve, I wonder if he wouldn't just rather sit down with me for a talk on an old blue couch with all its lived-in rips, tears, stains, and slouchy cushions. Maybe even with one of my favorite old gospel hymns, like Just As I Am, playing somewhere in the background. 
just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. The words that grew out of my love for old hymns highlight God's challenge for us to be people who stay. You see, God invited me to that first blue couch moment just as I was. There were no prerequisites, no regulations, no secret handshakes, and no steps of progress necessary to prove myself worthy of his blue couch moment for me. And every day, God invites you and me again to come to him just as we are. I think that's exactly the kind of invitation God wants us to share. I wonder if we can be brave enough to allow God through the roped-off areas of our faith that need to come down today. Can we allow him to breathe life back into the places of our hearts that have become like museums of faith? I wonder if Jesus is simply waiting on you to extend an invitation for people to experience their own blue couch moments just as they are. Can we be there for the hurting, wounded, sick, or lost who are just waiting for that one person to offer them a place to rest? I pray that we can live a life of faith that always makes room for the blue couch to share the good news of the God who stays. May we always be the people who stay for a broken and hurting world. That's chapter 11 of The God Who Stays. Thanks for uh, joining me on the journey of The God Who Stays, the book. If this book is ministered to you, spoken to you, well, that's an answer to prayer because that's exactly what I prayed that it would do. If you feel like it's brought you closer to God, and reminded you of his closeness to you at all times, well, that's an answer to prayer. If perhaps it's made you um, think about your relationship with Christ, maybe even make a decision to begin a relationship with Jesus, that's an answer to prayer. (laughs) If it's made you talk to Jesus maybe for the first time in a long time, you've taken the ropes down, and the museum of your faith is now alive and well, well, that is an answer to prayer. So thank you guys for reading the book and I want to encourage you, pass it on, pay it forward. Uh, Get a copy to somebody who you think might be encouraged by the messages in these chapters, the messages of the God who never leaves us and never forsakes us. And um, our ministry, Pop We, is on a mission to get this book behind the walls of prisons all around the country. I can't help but think about men and women behind bars who must feel totally and completely isolated and alone. And I think of the words of this song, you're the God who stays. You're the one who runs in my direction when the whole world walks away. I want the messages of uh, this book to ring out loud and clear um, to anyone who feels lonely or isolated or lost or undeserving of the presence of a life-changing God. I hope this truth rings loud and true and and, uh, loud and clear. And if you want to help us to do that, we've gotten over a thousand books into prisons and we'd love to do even more of that. So a donation at popwe.org is something that could really help us to get that book behind the walls of uh, prisons all around the country. Hey, let's dive right into songs from the story house. Today's song from the story house, I'm actually going to dip back And uh, instead of featuring a song from the new record, since we're completing The God Who Stays book, let's go ahead and listen a little bit to The God Who Stays. If I were you, I would have given up on me by now. I would have labeled me a lost cause, cause I feel just like a lost cause. If I were you, I would have turned around and walked away. I would have labeled me beyond repair Cause I feel like I'm beyond repair Oh, but somehow you'd 
don't see me like I do Somehow you're still here You're the God who stays You're the God who stays You're the one who runs in my direction When the whole world walks away You're the God who stands With wide open arms And you tell me nothing I have ever done Could separate my heart from the God who stays I used to hide He's my dad, he gives good advice And that's why the last segment of today's show is called Dad Vice, and here's the theme song to prove it. He is my dad, and he gives good advice, and that's why this segment is called Dad Vice. Dad, thanks for joining me today. Send us out with some encouragement. All right, Matthew, I, I've enjoyed these Dad Vices on one of your many songs in your double album, but the title, My Story, Your Glory. Today, we're going to talk about my mess, your message. Here are the lyrics. My story, your glory, my pain, your purpose, my mess, your message, and all things I know you are working. Mess defined, a dirty or untidy state of things or of a place, a situation or state of affairs that is confused or full of difficulties. Uh, Three things. One, messy lives. The Bible is full of characters who found themselves in a mess. The woman caught in adultery. Zacchaeus in a mess, lies and dishonesty. David messed up, adultery and murder. Saul turned to Paul, persecuting Christians. We all have messy lives And if today you find yourself in a mess, you've made bad decisions, maybe it's addiction, adultery, dishonest dealings, lying, secret sins, the list goes on and on. The message is that God did not allow any, any of us to stay in the messes that we've created. Those that were in the Bible and our lives today, the messes, God didn't create you to stay in that mess. Secondly, What can I do if I find myself in a mess? One, realize that God sees you and that nothing is impossible with God. Luke 1, 37. Two, be willing to surrender your mess. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Three, be willing to leave your mess behind. Jesus' message to the woman caught in adultery, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more, John 8 through 11. My dad advice today, if you find yourself in a mess, be assured that God sees you and he can deliver you and use your mess to proclaim his message of love and deliverance. A good quote here, only God can turn your mess into a message, a test into a testimony, a trial into a triumph, and a victim into a victory. For those of you who don't, don't know, Popwe has a story portal on our website. You can go to popwe.org, and there are written stories and video stories telling how God has worked in the messy parts of our stories. And I would encourage you to share your story. And, and at our booth on every night of the show, we are encouraging people to tell their story and, and share it with the world. One video that you can view is Josh's video, giving his testimony 
of how he started a life of addiction as an early teen. He was angry and constantly found himself in bad relationships. His life was a mess, but a year ago, Jesus saved and delivered him. God is using his mess for his message, and he wants to use our messes for his message. That's awesome. Thanks, Dad. All right, my friends, that is our show for today. Thank you for joining me. I hope it's been an encouragement to you. And thanks to all of you out there who are listening week in and week out. A reminder, the new album, My Story, Your Glory, is available everywhere you're listening to music. Go check it out. Uh, Be sure to call the podcast hotline. Let me know what song is ministering to you and why. You can tell me your name, where you're from, and uh, you can ask me a question or whatever. 601-301-2208. That's 601-301-2208. Also, uh, a reminder that our tour is rocking. We're out on the road right now. I'm coming to you actually from the tour bus as I record the podcast. So come and see us on the My Story, Your Glory tour. Go to MatthewWest.com to get all the details. I know tickets are sold out in a handful of cities, so be sure to go check it out today, and I'll see you on the road. One last thing I want to tell you. You get one shot at this life. Make the most of it. It's a gift that God has given you, and he has you here for a reason. It's your story for his glory. I'll see you next week. I really hope you like it. <laughs> but seriously, I, I, I do.